let it be impacting in the lives of at least one person. And God, in everything, we give you glory, thanks, and honor. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. All right. So we kind of saw in the video that, um, so the topic that we're going to be speaking about today, it's called the art of joy. The art of joy. How do we accomplish and get this thing that we call joy? And that's what we're going to be talking about a little bit today. So we saw in the video Hawkeye in a very nice situation with his family. Um, he had his kids with him, beautiful kids, his wife. They were playing, and then instantly, in a moment, the situation changed. They were all gone. And then we fast forward to another part of the scene, another part of the movie, where he starts to enact vengeance on that. So his heart wasn't really pure in his so-called heroism. He had vengeance. And um, well, I'm forgetting her name now. Uh, Scarlett Johansson. Why? Just what, What's her name in the movie? Black, Black Widow. Jesus. Wow. Black Widow um, says to him, killing all these people aren't, aren't gonna bring, isn't going to bring your family back. Right? So we see this sort of thing where he's had a position where he had the most joy in his life, being there with his family, and then at, the, at one second he's at the bottom. So how do we accomplish and understand this thing that we call joy? And I think Paul has an answer to this question. He has a very good answer to this question. And he talks about it in the passage that we just read. So if we look towards the beginning, uh, Philippians is one of the chapters or one of the books in the Bible um, where, where scholars call the prison epistles. Acts, in Acts 28, um, we see that Paul was imprisoned in Rome, and most scholars um, date that time around 61 to 63 AD, so around about 28 to 30 years after Jesus was crucified and then resurrected. Paul is writing the letter to, uh, to Philippi, um, to Ephesus, and he also wrote the book of Colossians, and those were two particular group of people, but then the one other book, the one of the four is Philemon, right, that he wrote to a particular person, okay? So we have this kind of setup, right? So we see Paul is writing this book in prison, and let's look at the first verse again. The first verse says, in, in ch uh, chapter 4, verse 10, the first verse we read, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. So what Paul is saying here is that I was in a bit of trouble, right? I had issues. I didn't really have any, in layman's terms, I really didn't have any money on my books. I didn't have people pouring into my life. And the prison system was very different back then than it is today. Today, it's kind of humane. Like, you get your three meals a day. You get your one hour of rec time. You get all those kind of things to be humane. But back then, sometimes you had to work for your own food back then. And you were dependent upon other people for you to get food. So Paul is saying here, thank you that you have, final, that you have financially supported my situation. Thank you for that. But here's the thing. In verse 11, this is what he says now. He says, not that I am speaking of being in need. And I have to pause right there. Now, if you're a reader, you have to pause right there. Paul is saying, I'm rejoicing not at the fact that you, I received financial support. Paul's saying, I'm not really happy and rejoicing because you gave money to me. That's not why I'm happy. 
but Paul, you, you're in need. You needed it. Something was missing. You needed that financial support. How are you telling me that this is not why you're saying thank you to us? This is not why you're rejoicing. This is not why you're happy. This is not why you're full of joy. It's not because you're in need and you received this financial support. Why is it? Why are you rejoicing? And we see that Paul's rejoicing here is not from, them, from him receiving the financial support. His rejoicing is for the people in Philippi for their opportunity that they took advantage of to be more like Christ. Let me say that again. He's rejoicing at the fact that the people in Philippi finally had the opportunity and took advantage of the opportunity and were being more like Christ by being supportive and serving and giving into the ministry and giving into somebody who was in need. Does that make sense? So he wasn't so much concerned with himself and what he was going through. He was concerned that they were growing in Christ. And here's the reason why he was concerned. Well, one of the reasons why I think he was concerned. So Philippi was a different situation. Philippi didn't really have that Jewish sort of influence. There wasn't a synagogue in the middle of the city. So there wasn't really that much of a Jewish influence or tradition already circulating in that particular part of that particular city, right? So most of the people that were a part of that church were the Gentiles. So the foundation was small. The foundation was a little bit wasn't as firm as those who've been in the Jewish community. Does that make sense? Because Christianity's foundation is Judaism, right? And they didn't have that. So you had people in the church that just met Yahweh. Does that make sense? That just met Jesus. But you had a lot of people in other parts of town that in other particular areas that had some sort of understanding of who Yahweh was. Does that make sense? So Paul is saying here, I'm grateful that you are now getting it, that you are now understanding and and acting and being Christ-like. That is my concern for you. That is my concern for you. So not only in thought, Paul was saying, Paul was saying you had the thought right. So in verse 10, he's saying, listen, I knew you cared. So I knew you're growing because now you care about the lost. Now you care about those who are in need. Now you care about the people that are suffering. Now I know you got that. Now the opportunity presented itself, and it's not just all talk. You took advantage of it, and you, and you showed yourself to be true to your word and to be a true Christ follower, and you did what you had to do in order to be supportive of my situation. So it's not about me, Paul was saying. It's about you. That's my focus. Amen? Does that, make, does that make sure? Are you following me so far? We're getting to a point. I just need you, I need you to follow me. And this is one of the first points I want you to get. Our goal, our goal in life as a believer should be to see people look more like Jesus every day. That's our goal in life. That should be one of our goals in life. To see people look like Jesus every day. And I know we skipped a slide, but the overarching idea of this particular point is loving people, all right? So how do we get to joy? The first thing, we love people. And one of the ways we love people is seeing them act like Jesus and look like Jesus every single day, having them take advantage of the opportunities to look like Jesus every day. And Paul acknowledged that the thought was correct and they behaved correctly. But some of us have the thought 
We want to serve. We want to help people. We want to do these things. But when life hits, life happens, we start to waver and turn in terms of our support and our not even just financial support, but our ability to look after, our ability to, to, to help people who are actually in need. When our situation is jacked up, we say, I can't really help you. I can't really help you right now because my situation is jacked up. My situation is not the, not the greatest right now. So I'm not going to step out and help. And what Paul was saying, don't, don't miss this opportunity. They didn't miss the opportunity. So it's not about me receiving. It's not about me regaining the thing. I'm grateful for it, but that's not why I'm rejoicing. You took advantage of the opportunity. And some of us don't usually take advantage of the opportunity. I'll give you an example for me, where God was growing me. Two, two years ago, I was able to, I was at a concert. I was at a concert. And midway through the concert, before the opening, before the, the main event or the main act comes up, um, they have people come around with pamphlets of, of children in Africa who are obviously struggling and in need of financial support. And I felt the Lord tugging on my heart one day while I was at the concert and said, sow into this. And now, most of us don't really like sowing into monthly things without receiving something back, right? <laughs> so most of us like, like Netflix because we receive something back. We get to watch Lock and Key, The Punisher. Uh, what's the other one? I don't even know. What y'all watch on Netflix? I'm not sure. What you watch? A lot of things I just watched, Who Killed Malcolm X? That was amazing. It's crazy. I don't know if that guy actually did it, but he was literally living in Newark the whole time. And everybody knew it. He was just living there. It's crazy. He just passed away two years ago, but that's wild. But we get, we get and receive these things back, right? We receive these things back. But this was me giving $35 a month, recently married, $35 a month to somebody that I don't even know. And I felt the Lord tugging on me to do it. And I'm doing it. A year passed by. This is just me and my wife. We're good. We're financially straight. 35. 2018, first kid comes. We're good. You know, we're fine. 35, that's, you know. 2019, my wife calls me. She actually, sorry, she walks out the bathroom. She walks out the bathroom with the pregnancy, the pregnancy test. It's like, <laughs> number two is on the way. And I'm like, Great. This is amazing. You know, this is God's gift, man. And immediately, I was very happy, but immediately my mind went to how are we going to care for this child? What do we have to do? And what I did, I immediately went to the finances and said, how do I make this thing look a little bit better and make it work? Where are the areas that we can maneuver? And I remember looking and coming down because we have it listed on a Google, on a document. I remember coming to a stop and I said, food for hunger, 35. And I said, man, that could, that could, that's formula. That's baby clothes. Man. So I went to my wife, hey, hey, the 35. And as I'm approaching her about this, the Lord stopped me and said, don't do that. And the Lord struck me like, it, it was like, not audibly, but I felt that presence. You know how you felt the inclination, you feel, you feel that unction. I felt the Lord say, don't do this. Don't allow your hardships, and watch this, and watch this. It wasn't a negative situation that could have prevented me from doing the things that, that I was supposed to do for God and be able to give this money and give my support to this child. It was a positive thing. I was having a child. That's a positive. But God said, don't even allow this positive thing 
to prevent you from serving me and doing, doing not just financially, but serving my mission and my cause. God said, don't touch the 35, because I got it. Don't You'll be okay. Leave that. It's, take the opportunity that you have. Don't relinquish the opportunity to serve me because of your positive or negative situation. Continue to serve me, and I will take care of the rest. Amen? Amen. So, so, so what God was telling me here, and I, and I remember it so vividly, what God was telling me here, God was telling me, God was showing me this. He was saying, listen, don't, as, as I said, don't let these, these situations kind of change what's happening. Don't allow the situation that is, that is maybe positive or negative to affect your service to God. And this is what Paul is saying here. They, the, the people of Philippi, didn't let this situation happen. They didn't relinquish that. And I remember God telling me in, as I was contemplating, where, where am I going to do this financial thing? One kid is good, but two, it's going to be a struggle. How do I make it work? And, and I remember sitting, and I remember God a lot of t- was telling me, he was like, sometimes, you know, Jay, you hear this. You hear this, oh, God will never put more on you than you can bear. You hear it all the time. And, and, and that particular verse is kind of talking about temptation. But, 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 but what God was telling me is, he showed me, he said, he said Jay, the, I, it's not that I, I won't put more on you than you can bear. It's that I won't put more on you than I can bear. And because of who I am, I, I, I'm the creator of the universe. I rose from the grave. I have all power in my hands. So if I can make this vastness of a universe, what do you think I'm able to do with this little problem that you're having? What do you think I'm able to do? So that's one of the things that I had to, that God kind of comforted me and said, God has it in control. The first thing I need to do is to worry about how I'm able to be like Jesus, how I'm able to serve Jesus the best that I can. Amen? Amen. So that's the first point. We have to love people. We have to see the opportunity for people to look more and more like Jesus every day. Now, if you're a reader, and we're going through this, these four verses, if you're a reader, you'd be like, well, Paul, that's kind of unnatural to say. You're literally not happy. You're literally not rejoicing that you are not hungry anymore. That just doesn't seem human. You're happy that we're being like Christ and you're not rejoicing over the fact that you have money in your books, that, that's a problem for me. As I was reading, I'm like, that doesn't seem real. That doesn't seem like an actual thing that you can literally be starving, hungry, don't know where your next meal is coming from, and yet at the same breath, the same breath can say, I'm happy that you gave. I'm happy that you are being more like Jesus. I'm not happy about myself. And it could be a little bit contradictory, but we have to look at what Paul was saying. The reason why he was able to say what he said, that he wasn't excited or rejoicing because he had got financial support and rejoicing because they looked like Jesus, the reason why he was able to say that comes directly in the next verse. We have to understand this. And the second point, before we get into those two, the second verse, first we love people, then we trust God. 
Those are the only two points. The art of joy, love people, trust God. Second point, trust God. In verse 11, watch this now. In verse 11, Paul says, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. That's how Paul was able to say that. That's how Paul was, say, was able to say, I'm not really concerned about me and my belly being full. I'm concerned about you looking like Jesus. And Paul, why were you able to say that? Because he was content with his life. And understand this, it's not the content that we think of. So sometimes you think of content and you think of not striving for anything else, not trying to be better, just okay with the status quo, it being like that. That's not what he was talking about. And now we have to kind of go into the Greek. The Greek word that Paul uses, um, I'm going to read it <laughs> because I don't, I don't want to mess it up. It's, it's called autorica. That's the Greek word he used. And the Greek word that came from is the Stoic philosophers would use that word, and, and that was their ultimate pursuit of the highest ethic. And what that meant, what that word meant is self-dependency. So it's a different idea of what we can call content. Self-dependency. That was the ultimate. That's why Paul used that. He said, Paul, what are you talking about? You're saying you've learned to be self-dependent? What, what are you saying? Are you really saying that, Paul? That doesn't line up with what Jesus, that doesn't line up with this Christian view. Why did you use this word? Why did you use this word? So Paul uses it. It's cause it's, this, the word means self-dependency. And what self-dependency is and how they accomplished it is that they, it was accomplished through the training of the mind and emotion to not care about what happens to yourself and to others. And that was able, that's how the Stoic philosophers, that was their highest ethic. You want to have peace, you want to have joy in your life, you need to stop caring. You need to relinquish your desires for anything and anyone. If you do that, you will have ultimate peace. That is the highest ethic. So Paul, why did you use that if that's what they were talking about? And he's like, whoa, 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 that's that back. Nobody talks like that now. Ravi Zacharias was doing an interview with the first woman monk, ordained monk. She wasn't able to be ordained in Thailand. She went over to Sri Lanka, and she was ordained. And she gave Ravi Zacharias the first interview. And during this interview, he asked her, he said, you know, they were talking for a little bit. And then he said, you know, you're married, right? She said, of course, yes. So you have kids? Yes, I do. I have kids. Do you see them? She started crying. So do you see them? She started crying. Started talking for a little bit more. And then she says, he asked her this question. After they were talking for a little bit, he asked her, because we know in Buddhism that the, the, the goal it's kind of similar to the Stoic philosophers. Relinquish desire. Purify yourself of any desires or any dependency on any, anybody else. Pure it. Don't need it. That's how you receive ultimate peace. And so he asked her, he said, you are, so what you're telling me is you are on the journey to purify yourself of the desire to want to love your kids? That's what you're doing? 
And then he posed a question. He said this. He said that the, the Dalai Lama's primary pursuit in life is the freedom of Tibet. He asked the question, he said, why does he desire that? So what he was doing here was showing the inconsistencies in their belief when it comes to reality. And you say, well, well, that's just religion. Atheism is the same thing. You don't mean anything. You are just this insignificant speck in the vastness of the universe. You don't matter. There's nothing intrinsically valuable about you, your relationships, nothing valuable, nothing special about you. You think you love your kids? That's not real. It's made up goals. It's made up purpose. It's not real. You don't mean anything. There's no life after death. So why strive for anything? That's what atheism teaches. There's no, Richard Dawkins said, there's no good, there's no evil, there's just blind indifference. We are just animals dancing to our DNA. Why get upset when injustice happens? They don't matter. People don't matter. So you have this religious aspect of purifying yourself of desire, and you also have atheism, which says, no one's intrinsically valuable. There's no worth. But here's the thing about that. I know some of you kind of cringed on the inside, like, dang, that's what they believe? This is, oh, man, this is weird. But what they're saying here, what we're saying here is when we look at the situation, for me, I don't jive and rock with that sort of thinking. And the, real, the reason why is because I think it's inhumane. It is inhumane. It is disrespectful to our existence and who we are as individuals. Loving our children, there's something intrinsically valuable about that. Loving my neighbor, having relationship with my family, there's a purpose and an objective and an intrinsic worth to that. There's intrinsic value in who I am as a human being. That's why nobody should violate that. That's why she can't just, he can't just force himself onto her because she's intrinsically valuable. Even though she, he sees her as a means to an end, she's intrinsically valuable. And if he forces himself onto her, there's a problem and justice needs to be served. I'm intrinsically valuable and I shouldn't be violated. So that's why that understanding of... Mm, Relinquish yourself of desires, all pleasures and understanding. Don't, don't search for those things. It's inhumane because it doesn't mesh with who we are as people. But here's the reason why. And, we, and I told you about the word. Paul, Paul uses that word to show you the difference between the worldly content and godly content. To use that word as an example. And here's the difference. Here's the difference. And he says it in the chapter. He says it in the verse. Here's one of the differences. Paul says, I know. <laughs> That's the first thing. He says, I know. That's one of the slides there somewhere. He says, I know. I know what it's like to abound. 
I know what it's like to be of one of the versions abased, humbled, in need. I know what it's like. And here's the difference, and I just want to check. I just want to check a few things. Here's, one of the, here's the thing. He knows what it's like from experience. It's not a pursuit. So for the Buddhist and, and the atheist, it's a, it's a pursuit. It's not a, pers- it's, it, it's not a, pers- it's a pursuit for them. We're trying to relinquish all desire. We're trying not to, to, not to need and, be, and, and not to be hungry and not to need other people and need other things. We're trying that. Paul says, no, I didn't try to be hungry. I wasn't seeking to be poor. I know it because it was a byproduct of me trying to serve Jesus. It happened. He sent me to this area and it happened. I'm in jail. And I know sometimes, and this is one of the side points I want to make, sometimes we as believers, especially believers that don't have much, we start to look at people that have things and we start to put virtue and worth on our lack. Let me explain that a little bit. We start to think that us choosing lack is a virtue. There's something honorable about being poor. There's something honorable about being, in, being hungry. That's not the case. It's honorable and it's of worth when you do it because of Jesus. When it's a byproduct of what happens. Not for you to do it and be in lack and to not have things in order for yourself to be glorified. You see kind of a difference when, 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 when Jesus was talking about when you're fasting, don't, 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 don't look disheveled. Don't, 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 don't dress yourself and oh my God, I'm fasting. I'm... He said, don't do that. Because you're seeking the honor and the, you're seeking the praise of men. He said, dress yourself up and look like nothing's happening. That's what he said. Don't try to seek the present. That's what I'm saying. I know a lot of us, a lot of us are, are mad when we see people that have money, when we see people who have, have things, and we say, oh, no, 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 I'm going it, to, it, it's the will of God for me to be, in, to be in lack. That's just as detrimental as the prosperity gospel. That my goal in life is to be in lack. If it's a byproduct of my service to Jesus, then cool. But it's not something I pursue to get brownie points from Jesus. Amen? Does that make sense? I had to kind of just check that a little bit because I know sometimes, a lot of times we see that. We see people like, oh, I don't wear that. Mm -mm, I'm modest. I don't wear that jewelry. I don't, no. Modesty. I wear sweatpants. I'm ashamed of my body. Yes, we don't want you to go out there looking crazy. Another point for another time. I'm not even going to get there. I'm not even going to go there. First, he says, I know. And secondly, I learned. I know what it's like because I've experienced it. It's a byproduct. Then he said, secondly, I've learned to be content. This is not something that's natural to us people. It is not natural. It's not something that we just automatically do. It is something that's learned. The natural response when we're in lack, complain. Oh, my God, look at them. I'm jealous. Look how much stuff they got. 
When problems are happening, that's the natural response. I remember sitting with a friend in the car. In the car, I took him to AutoZone he needed to, or something. He needed to get something. Remember, he was, and he knows I'm in the church, and he was, he was talking to me. He's like, man, you don't know nothing, man. You, like, you, everything's good for you, man. You got a wife, beautiful wife, man. Like, I'm struggling, man. I'm living paycheck, paycheck man. I don't. And I talked to him. I said, listen, brother, you got two beautiful kids, man. And my wife just miscarried. We're trying to have kids. Perspective, people. Our first inclination is to complain. And when we're up, when everything is going good, our first inclination is to stop being like Jesus. It's to switch and to change and to operate like it's because of us. That is our natural inclination. And that's why Paul said, I learned this. This is not something that came natural to me. This is not something I always did. I learned contentment in my life. I learned it. I know what it's like. I don't want to be poor. I don't want to. So I know. And that's kind of one of the things I'm Jamaican. That's kind of one of the things uh, uh, um, one of the kind of ideas that was floating around in, in our culture, especially the Jamaican culture, it's this idea that when you get into a job, you stay there and you do that work and you never advance. If you're going to work at the mall, you're going to work at the mall for those years and never try to advance and never try to be better as a person. That I just don't agree with. Our goal is not to just be stagnant and be in lack and just be... Our job is to serve God. There's nothing wrong with trying to be better for yourself, to try to be better. There's nothing wrong with pursuing wealth. But your heart has to be in the right place. Amen? Amen. So we got this. Paul says, this is the difference, right? There's a difference between your idea of contentment and what I'm talking about here, about what true contentment is. And there's a difference. And this is what Paul says. Paul says in verse 12, he says, I found the secret. I have found the secret to being content. When I'm up, when I'm down, I have found the secret. I know how to do it. It is not by my will. It is not by what I do, but I have found a secret. And the secret is in verse 13. And we all know it. Paul says the secret is, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You're like, whoa, 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 what does that mean? So what Paul was saying is that even when I'm down, Christ is sufficient. And when I'm up, And if I have the potential to lose things, Christ is sufficient. So a lot of times you hear that verse and that means, oh my God, that means I can start my own business. That means I could could do anything I want in the world. No, that's not what Paul was saying. Paul was putting to rest, to death, this idea of self-sufficiency. You're doing things for yourself. And it moved from self-sufficiency to true contentment, to getting to joy, which was in Christ. 
which is being Christ-dependent and Christ-sufficient. That's what he means by saying, I can do all things through Christ. That means when I'm up, man, glory be to God, I'm up. When I'm down, I have hope. The one thing I won't do is I won't let that situation condition or define who I am as a person. Going back to the video we, we saw, he let the condition of what happened to him change who he was as an individual. That's why I showed it. He was up, and he was good. And he was down, and he changed as a human being. And Paul was saying, essentially, whether good or bad, it's irrelevant because I'm dependent upon Christ. And the difference is, one is the act of the will. Self-dependency is the act of the will. When Christ and true godly contentment is through Christ. One is a human achievement. The other is a divine gift. And thirdly, as we said, one is self-sufficient and the other one is dependent upon God. So you want to know this key to joy? You want to know this key to, to living and, and getting into a position where so you, be, you are in financial hardship or, or whatever, and then somebody comes and helps you, and you say, thank you for being like Christ and not so concerned about you? It's when you are fully dependent upon Jesus. That's when you can do all things. That's where you can be in prison and say, even if they don't help, I'm good. I got Jesus. Even if they don't give me money, I'm good. I have Jesus. And that's where the point we have to get to. That's where true joy comes in. And we are fully, we don't relinquish our desires and our, and, our, and our aspirations and our goals and our dreams. We submit them to the work of Jesus and we fully depend on him and his sacrifice for us. Amen? Amen. You can stand with me give you one last kind of anecdote. I know I'm running over my time, but I'll give you one last one. I remember um, my wife and I started, tried to have kids at this. We started at the start of 2017. That's when we started to try. We got about five months in of cool marriage. We're like, yeah, it's time to start. We started. She got pregnant came back from a beautiful day at church. I was on my way to stop and shop. She called me. One of the most horrific scenes I've ever seen in my life. She lost a baby. She had miscarried, sitting in the bathroom, just crying her eyes out. So I was like, man, let's give her some time, but we can definitely go again. And we went again. We tried again. She got pregnant again. I remember us playing around, you know, a little hugging. <laughs> Stop. I remember I was playing and I hit her. She was showing. I hit her in the stomach by accident. She looked at me with eyes I never and looked at me and just what? started crying. I was like, this is something deeper than me. She shared this. She said, I don't know. Jay, I'm scared. I'm worried if this pregnancy is going to come through. I don't know. I don't know. I'm scared. I just, I'm, I'm, I'm scared. And I shared with her and I said that. I said, God has given us a word that we will be parents. 
even if this one doesn't, God has promised us. God has told us that we will be children. So don't worry. Trust God. And you know the beautiful, the, the crazy thing? She lost that baby. She lost that baby. Then we tried again. Lost one again. It wasn't until January, February, excuse me, 2018. So all the 2017 we tried. 2018. She calls me. I'm on my way to New York. She calls me. She says, Jay, there's a firmness. She didn't even say in my, she just said, there's a firmness in my womb. There's a, there's a, there's a tightness that I haven't really felt the other ones before. There's this, there's this, there's this, this, this secure feeling that I have with this one that I didn't have with the other ones. And I said, Kenesha, I think that's God saying to you that this time, this time it will happen because you didn't waver when it didn't. You didn't change as a person when it didn't. You still trusted me. You were still fully dependent upon me. Even when it didn't happen, you were dependent upon me. So this time, I'm not even just going to allow you to rely on faith. I'm going to put some guarantee on it for you this time. Oh, God is good, isn't he? Wow. And now we got two. Now we got two. Amen. Now we got two. And if I could refer just back to that video for the last time. He lost everything. And it changed him. Lost everything and it changed him. Even if you lose, don't let it change you. Don't let yourself to be defined by your children. Don't let yourself be defined by your family. Be defined and be totally sufficient and dependent upon Jesus and you will have true joy. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the word. We thank you for imparting into us this new understanding of doing and being able to do all things through Christ. God, we thank you that we are not dependent upon ourselves, that we are not dependent solely upon what we can do. We are not defined by the love of our family. We are not defined by, the th- by, by, by our friendships and relationships. We are totally dependent upon you. God, I ask that if we are, any of us in here are not at that point, I ask for your true and utter presence to rest on them. Give them the opportunity, Father God. Give them the knowledge and the understanding, God, that you are enough. God, I pray that we all get to the point that we say when help comes, we could be like Paul in verse 14 and say, hey, but I'm appreciative. I'm appreciative of it. I thank you for it, but I didn't need it to be defined. I truly did need it. I was in, I was in need but I'm not defined by it. I'm good either way. God, let us get to that point that we are solely dependent upon you. And we give you thanks, honor, and praise in Jesus' name. And everybody say, 